Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crime Weirdos podcast. I'm your host, Harley. And today we are going to be talking about the Lululemon murder. This one has some crazy twists and turns. So let's buckle up and get right into it. On March 12th, 2011, at approximately 8 a.m., Rachel O. arrives at Lululemon Athletica in Bethesda, Maryland, where she is the manager and came to open the store for the day. Rachel pulls out her keys to unlock the door to realize the door is already unlocked. Maybe another employee arrived early or last night's employees had just forgotten to lock up. Whatever the case, Rachel is not ready for the scene she is about to step into. The entire store is wrecked. Clothing and accessories are strewn across the floor. Racks are knocked over and cabinets had been left open. Rachel stares at the scene in complete and utter confusion. Had they been robbed? As Rachel digs her phone out of her purse, she calls out for anyone who may be in the store with her. And though no one answers, she begins to hear moans coming from the back of the store. Rachel runs out of the store gripping her phone. Now, I know like in the horror movies and a lot of like lifetime shows and stuff like that, the female main character would stay and like be brave enough to investigate the scene. But just like Rachel, I'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, absolutely not. Like I just, I could not. So (laughs) I completely don't blame Rachel for not staying there and investigating things herself, especially with the way the scene was initially. Now, as Rachel is running out of the store, she sees an employee of the neighboring Apple store who's waiting for the store to open. His name is Ryan. She explains to Ryan what had just happened and asks if he would be willing to check out the store for her and see if anyone had been hurt. Ryan agrees and he and Rachel enter the store. He begins investigating while Rachel stays at the front of the store. Now, it wouldn't be long before Ryan yells to Rachel to call the police. He found a woman's body lying face down in a pool of blood and another woman who had been tied up in the bathroom and appears to have been assaulted. Rachel called 911 for the second time, telling the dispatcher, quote, I think someone's dead, end quote. Montgomery County Police respond to her calls And when they arrive at the scene, they immediately notice the mess and the floor that was covered in bloody footprints. They find a non-responsive woman in the back who is identified as 30-year-old Jaina Murray. She had been working the closing shift the night before. Jaina had been working at the Lululemon store while she worked on her master's degree. She was very into fitness, hence why she wanted to work at the Lululemon store, but she also wanted to eventually create her own business surrounding that. But her dreams would be ripped away now that she is pronounced dead at the scene. The other woman in the store, the one who had been tied up, is 28-year-old Brittany Norwood. Brittany is rushed to the hospital where she begins telling authorities and hospital staff what had happened the night before. Brittany tells them that she and Jaina had been working a shift together that night, and once their shift ended, Brittany realized she had forgotten her wallet inside the store. This is when she says she had called Jaina to come unlock the store for her so she could grab it. And once back at the store, Brittany says two masked men came in and began to attack 
and sexually assault both her and Jaina. Jaina resisted, and that's why the men had stabbed her to death. Brittany says she knew she had to comply at this point, or that she, too, would meet the same fate as Jaina. She says she had been beaten, sexually assaulted, and cut with a knife. The men then left her tied up in the bathroom. Authorities immediately request hospital staff perform a medical exam for the alleged sexual assault, you know, to preserve any DNA the men had left on Brittany's body. Because usually, like, when you're sexually assaulted, there is some DNA that's left. At this point, the incident is classified as a robbery-turned-homicide and attempted murder. Police waste no time trying to track down the two men that had carried out this brutal attack. Meanwhile, the owner of the Lululemon store, where both Brittany and Jaina had worked, put out a $125,000 reward in hopes that someone will lead police to the two male suspects, one which had been described as around six foot tall and the other that was about 5'3". So we're talking tiny. Though still early in the investigation, police were having trouble finding any other eyewitness accounts aside from Brittany's. And since the perpetrators had allegedly entered the unlocked door that had been left open by the girls, there were no security cameras and no evidence of a break-in. So the cops are just having all the trouble trying to piece all of this together. But nonetheless, they continue to work the case very stealthily. They don't want anyone in the public to know any information that they may be gathering. The only thing the public know at this time in the investigation is that there had been a murder and an attempted murder, and there were apparently two masked murderers on the loose. The silence from authorities is precisely why when Brittany Norwood is arrested and charged with Jaina's murder came at a complete shock. I mean, how? How did this happen? Brittany is a victim herself, right? Jaina's parents even came out through media stating that they were just as confused as anyone else. Jaina had never even discussed Brittany with them. They, quote-unquote, didn't even know the girl. Jaina herself had only known Brittany for a short time, as Brittany had only started working at the Lululemon store three weeks prior to Jaina's murder. But co-workers would say that Jaina and Brittany worked pretty well together and there had never been any issues. Now, with both the community and Jaina's parents more curious than ever, they'd be on pins and needles waiting the seven months for Brittany's trial to begin and for questions to be answered. Now, this would drive me absolutely insane for it to go from two masked murderers that sexually assaulted these women to now two employees, one dead, one charged with the murder. Like, I would have so many questions, and I did while reading this story. And also during this time, while they are awaiting trial, the Lululemon store had been boarded up and closed. The trial began on October 26, 2011. Brittany's final charges were first-degree premeditated murder and second-degree specific intent to kill. The reason Brittany was charged with premeditated murder was because she had planned this out after Jaina caught her shoplifting. On March 11, 2011, the night that Jaina was murdered, Brittany and Jaina had worked a shift together. 
Before closing up, there was a routine security procedure that Jaina had performed many times before. Like this procedure is in a lot of retail stores and the procedure includes bag checks for the closing employees. When Jaina checked Brittany's bag, though, she found a pair of yoga pants, which appeared to have been stolen. The tags were still on and all of that good stuff. But Brittany insists that she had purchased the pants earlier that day. After contacting several other employees, though, Jaina confirms that Brittany had not purchased the pants. She had stolen them. Now, it's not said whether there was a confrontation or anything but Jaina did take the merchandise back from Brittany and the two of them leave the store minutes later Brittany called another Lululemon a sales associate and claimed that she had left her wallet back at the store she didn't initially have Jaina's number since they had barely known each other but the sales associate gives her Jaina's number and Brittany then calls her and asks her to come back to the store to let her in so she could get her wallet so Brittany had literally lured Jaina back to the store to kill her. So yes, premeditated. Police were able to piece together that Brittany was the one to kill Jaina through numerous interviews they'd conducted, starting with the initial one at the hospital when they took her in for her injuries. Brittany had continuously changed details of her story and would frequently call in to tell police new details that she had suddenly remembered. See, Brittany had started to feel as though she was no longer being looked at as a victim, but instead a suspect. And this is when she would come up with all these new details to try to explain away evidence that they may have against her. But police were not buying it. They weren't buying any of it. When all of her tactics fail, Brittany begins telling a story of self-defense. The evidence would never correlate that, though. Brittany had so much evidence stacked against her, the prosecution was confident the jury would have no issues finding her guilty. The jury had been shown all of the evidence, which included phone calls where Brittany claimed she didn't even know what type of car Jaina drove, even though they had found Brittany's DNA inside Jaina's car. Pictures are shown of bloody footprints that matched the shoes Brittany had been wearing the night Jaina had been killed. In total, eight weapons had been used to inflict over 300 injuries to Jaina, a hundred of them which were defensive wounds. Now, let's talk about overkill. This is ridiculous. 300 injuries? I just can't. Brittany's DNA was found on all eight weapons, and these were just items that were found throughout the store that were used as weapons. The prosecution was able to prove that Brittany attacked Jaina before inflicting superficial wounds on herself and tying herself up for the night because she knew someone would find them soon. She knew that Rachel would be opening the shop bright and early and that she would be rescued. So she knew all of that. It's not like she just tied herself up and hoped that she'd be rescued. She knew it was going to happen. It took the jury just 21 minutes of deliberation to find Brittany guilty on both charges. The sentencing a year later was very emotional for Dana's family, especially since they'd be giving their impact statements. During their statements, Jana's family asked the judge for Brittany to receive a life sentence without parole. And the judge granted their wishes. Brittany is sent to prison for life with no chance of getting out. And though justice has been served for Jaina, this crime continues to haunt her family and the entire community. 
A little bit before the trial, the Lululemon store had reopened in June of 2011, and this is when they held a ceremony in honor of Jaina. Jaina's friends and family were all in attendance where a stained glass mosaic is unveiled. The words on the mosaic spell love in cursive in remembrance of Jaina. So basically, Jaina lost her life over a pair of pants and I think that Brittany really just did this because she didn't want to lose her job she didn't want to be made out to be a thief she didn't want the word being spread around so she in cold blood murdered Jaina and made it seem as if she had been attacked so that she would get away with it now if you want to learn more about Brittany Norwood I'm going to be having an episode of my Deadly Damsels podcast dedicated just to her where I'm going to be telling more in-depth details about this case. On this podcast, I tend to stay away from like more explicit content, but on Deadly Damsels, there is a lot of explicit content as well as some gory details, so it's not going to be for everybody, but you can find Deadly Damsels anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.